the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this episode, we present a lecture on higher education reform in PNG by the Honourable Malachi Taba MP, Papua New Guinea's Minister for Higher Education, Research, Science and Technology. Okay, let's make a start. Thank you everyone uh, for coming along uh, to the event today. And uh, in particular, of course, uh, thanks to the Minister for Higher Education, the Honourable Malachi Tabar, who will be addressing us. And also I'd like to acknowledge uh, Deputy High Commissioner of uh, Papua New Guinea, who's uh, here in attendance today and is part, one of the uh, <coughs> organisers of this, uh, the symposium, which this is part of. I'll mention that uh, in a minute. And um, also Emily Franklin from the Asia-Pacific Professionals Association, who's kind of the driving force behind today's event. Uh, so let's begin by acknowledging and celebrating the first Australians on whose land we meet and by paying our respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal people, past and present. Um, thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, we're, uh, I'm Stephen Howes. I direct the Development Policy Centre, and uh, it's a real honour for us to host today's event. Uh, I'll just say this is actually the Minister's here in town as part of the Gender Parity Symposium, which is a rolling tour uh, in, encompassing Queen, um, Canberra, Sydney, Brisbane over the next three days. And uh, we've got a really uh, great panel of speakers uh, that will be <coughs> appearing uh, here in uh, Crawford at uh, 12.30. Not sure if it's this, is it this room? Anyway, it's in the Crawford School. Uh, it's in this room. It's at 12.30 tomorrow, so if definitely, if you're interested in PNG, uh, come along uh, tomorrow lunchtime to the Gender Parity <coughs> event. I think it's uh, one of the best uh, panels that we've uh, ever been able to assemble or ever been part of. Um, and uh, the Minister himself is part of that panel uh, tomorrow, talking about Gender Parity. Uh, but we thought, you know, that since we had the Minister of Higher Education, such a, although he has visited um, ANU before, uh, that since we are having him here, it'd be a good opportunity to um, give a lecture. And I know there's a lot of people with an interest in PNG and in higher education uh, uh, in particular. Uh, the Minister uh, only uh, took up this particular portfolio in 2014, so he hasn't been there for long. You know, he's got long-standing interests uh, in higher education and himself uh, has a background uh, as an academic at the PNG University of Agricultural and Natural Resources uh, in East New Britain. Um, but given all that, we thought to take advantage of his presence, and he's very kindly agreed to come to Canberra a bit ahead of the rest of the delegation and uh, and give this lecture. Uh, some of you will know uh, the Honourable Malachi Tabar. He uh, participated a couple of years ago in a uh, Constitutional Law Reform Commission delegation that visited the ANU, and then earlier this year, talking about um, PNG's new research strategy. Um, so, a familiar face, but thank you very much, uh, Minister, for coming again and for agreeing to give this lecture. And, uh, yeah, we really look forward to what you have to say on higher education issues and reform. I think uh, the Minister might speak for about 40 minutes or so, and then uh, there'll be time for uh, questions <coughs> and answers. So, please uh, join with me in welcoming uh, the Minister for Higher Education. Thank you very much for this. 
allow me to uh, say thank you to people that have organized this, uh, distinguished guests, academics, staff of this uh, school, of this university, uh, staff of the BNG Embassy in Canberra. I thank you for this uh, opportunity to speak on education issues and reforms in Papua New Guinea. Um, yes, it is. Uh, it has been a challenge, especially in the area of uh, higher education and uh, this department uh, being a new department, Department of Higher Education, Research, Science and Technology, and being responsible for this department has been some major challenges over the last uh, 12 months. The more recent one was the Goroka University. Hopefully we've uh, put out the fire. Obviously we're very smoke. Uh, we'll try and go back and check uh, <laughs> to make sure that uh, we can resolve the issues. Let me start by saying reforms and especially any changes either through government or other agencies, we generally, to bring on improvements on the way uh, things are being done, uh, methodologies of operations. And through this attempt, um, either by policy analysis or adjustments, structural adjustments, or eventually legislative, <coughs> a lot of people would like to see those changes and make sure that we bring on those changes to affect efficiency and effectiveness of delivery of services by government. Obviously, in the area of education, and especially the mainstream education, elementary, primary, and secondary, um, one would like to think that a lot of what we intend to change and bring on is being thoroughly studied, is being seen to have some positive outcomes and is going to bring out what we intend to see and achieve in those areas. I'll say this, and uh, I stand to be correct, the reforms, especially in the education sector, has been done to um, effectively change some major areas of uh, the delivery of the service, uh, education service. And obviously, the outcome, and the more recent one, was the removal of an outcome-based education in Papua New Guinea. I'm going to try to discuss this, first of all, in the general education, the primary and secondary sector, and eventually I'll uh, discuss a bit on the higher education and the changes in the higher education sector over the last uh, 24 months. Our basic education, and effectively elementary primary and secondary, uh, we've had some major changes over the last uh, 20, 30 years. Um, before and independence, coming up to independence, the colonial administration had uh, a primary T program, I think it was a new, new software syllabus, and uh, some of us went through that. And then there were some changes, and uh, post 1993 uh, study was, was uh, or program was, was there 
1993, after 1993, elementary system was introduced, and thus was elementary, uh, primary, and secondary. And there was some strong coordination from Waigani. Eventually, uh, decentralization process came about, and a lot of the provinces were effectively required to look after uh, those stages of their programs. Allow me to say this, um, while in some of the areas it worked, unfortunately in some of the provinces and given the remoteness and locations where some of our primary and lower schools were, it was difficult. <coughs> I've also, and in my previous work, um, I've traveled breadth and width of the country. I've, now that I... Um, I, I continuously come across some major concerns on the bottlenecks of, uh, especially from elementary through to primary and primary through to secondary. And I continue to tell them, and especially in those provinces where I, I go, uh, my concern is from grade 12 to university. That's my bottleneck. That's my concern. Anything else after that or before that, sorry is uh, something that your education department should look after. To say that we would like to improve and we challenge ourselves, um, especially against standards that we would like to bring our uh, education program up to, we need to make sure we can look after those major prerequisite areas of the general education system. And effectively, and I continue to go back to the education department proper, you look after the lower levels, I will look after your output. Your graduates of grade 12, they come into my system. Unfortunately, I'm getting some output that uh, I really don't want to keep them in my universities. So you need to do a good thing. You need to make sure you look after them properly. And we go through this to make sure we bring up the required technical, competent technical people that is uh, going to be employed in our industries. Our issue with, uh, in a nutshell, has been the continuous changes in Papua New Guinea over the last 40, 50 years. There's been a whole lot of changes, and a whole lot of people effectively contribute as they find themselves in a position of decision-making and responsibility within the department. Um, they find themselves effectively um, thinking that they could uh, adopt changes and make uh, a lot of uh, amendments to um, some major areas. In some study work that was done, uh, the highest number of PhD people in Papua New Guinea is from the field of education. I think the second lot is from agriculture and those natural sciences. But yes, there's a whole lot of people who finish um, with PhDs in the field of education. And I'll be honest to say we still have not settled ourselves into a progressive and manageable system, especially for that low, low level. And true to today, um, I think last week, the minister again said something about some major changes. So the examinations of grade 8 and the examinations of grade 12 is no longer, so grade 10 is no longer be there. So everybody from elementary, the same group goes all the way. Uh, through to grade 12. And here comes my problem, finding accessibility and places for all these people. As we 
stand up to, to discuss education and especially the education department. And two weeks ago, we were in a conference in Goroka. And basically, um, I was there to open that, that conference. We needed, and there's a whole lot of things that uh, had to be um, looked at. I, I strongly emphasized while we were looking at uh, the well-being of teachers and their um, conditions of uh, engagement, I still think the technical matter, uh, curriculum and whatever that was administered in the classroom to our students uh, was important and we needed to make sure that that was properly looked after and uh, became uh, our major um, area of discussion. In the structure of the national education uh, prior to or pre-1993, effectively, I think there were, there were some church-run preparatory work. Um, you, you basically have catechism, the Catholic Church, and I think the Methodist had a, in, in a local vernacular where I came from, uh, not so much Sunday school, but uh, yes, there was a two years thing that you, and unfortunately it was in, the, in, in our local languages, vernacular, and um, you, you expected to go straight to standard one through to standard six, or grade one, grade six, and then you go to seven, eight, nine, ten, or form one, form two, form three, form four, and then you go to national high school or you go to the college and you go to universities. Over the years, and I, I look after a, a very big district, uh, population of 130,000, um, I saw uh, heavily congested um, rooms. And my, my average is 47 students to one teacher in the room. Uh, some averages in, in some, some parts of the country is between 60 and 70. Um, you basically... And I've, I've worked that. I've, six, I've got 64 primary, primary schools in my district. I've got 135 elementary schools. And my task, effectively, is trying to manage the growing um, students coming to the classroom. I visit all these schools, and I make sure that the board of management of those schools, effectively, are given money and can manage themselves to make sure they reduce the ratio of teachers to students. Um, technical content and the general literacy and numeracy was not properly managed. Um, and, and I think in 1995, 1996, the OBE uh, was introduced. And uh, last year in Parliament, they argued strongly and it was taken out. Um, it, it, I think there is a group of, there's a gen few genera generation of, of students and, and people who had problems. And it has to do with the continuous regular changes. Um, decision makers, especially in the education department, were heavily influenced by either PhD theses or some other people to bring on changes and reforms. Um, I take the OBE, I don't think the people who were there to make the decision had any idea of a prescribed outcome of the OBE system uh, last year. They argued strongly in Parliament. I sat down and thought about it. Somebody had effectively imposed this on, on, uh, on our 
low education system, um, whether we actually assessed and understood this, it was out. Successive governments also gave very small support uh, until the 2011 TFF program, I think, uh, tertiary fee-free subsidy scheme was initiated and brought in. But again, this has got some issues, and we would like to make sure that um, every school is managed, every uh, school is effectively um, achieving what we would like to achieve, competent students coming out. Um, uh, another major issue was the teacher's training program, and Goroka last year, the University of Goroka last year in 2013, they did some studies, some major study work, um, in the US, in Asia, I guess also in Australia. And they came up with a program where they wanted to improve the technical content of their teachers' training. Um, the students in April this year had a boycott, wanted to change it. I didn't want to step into that. But um, I've told the education department in one of the gatherings you need to give me the responsibility of training the teachers. I will look after the technical competencies of those teachers, and you then can employ them, and you will have better teachers in your schools. For as long as you look after them, I don't think you know what to do with them. <laughs> um, that is the argument today. Uh, Parliament sits next week. Hopefully we are going to now have a properly demarcated system, and all the teachers' colleges... Every post-grade 12 institution now comes under the higher education department. <coughs> the, after elementary, sorry, after the 1993, we had this elementary, so there's a preparatory year, there was year one and year two, and then year three. Uh, we had some difficulties with uh, getting teachers for the elementary program. Uh, I honestly don't think they were trained for anything. They were either Sunday school teachers or catechists or people who were good citizens of the community and they were brought in to effectively look after the elementary system. Um, we're, we're trying to improve that part. I guess the Department of Education is trying to improve that part. Uh, we would like to also, um, and, and there is this arrangement to, it's called a 266. It's two years elementary, six years in primary and six years, there's a three-year lower secondary and a three-year upper secondary. And hopefully we uh, improve. Unfortunately, by the time they finish at grade 12, and a whole lot of them finish at grade 12, my task of trying to find a, job, a place for them in, in university and colleges becomes a bigger issue. And then I come to the edu higher education sector. Um, this is a department, it's a new department. It basically took over from the Office of Higher Education and the Commission of Higher Education, OHE and CHE, um, that were there up until 2014. Um, we were brought in to try and effectively look after one access for place, for study, for all the students, a population growth rate that was higher than a um, few other countries around the region. We also had this responsibility of making sure we maintain the quality. Um, some of our universities had this deal, I guess, 
you're selected to come into our universities over the next two months, you go online and prove yourself that your numeracy and your literacy is up to the standard that you've shown on your qualification papers. So yes, um, institutions and especially universities had some major concern with uh, some of the students, especially the grades that were brought in. Equity came into the picture to making sure that uh, all lot of uh, girls and um, disadvantaged communities, uh, people from uh, very isolated communities were also included and brought into um, a major learning institution. And a major concern also was governance of our institutions. Um, when the government uh, brought in this uh, higher education general provisions act, uh, it wanted to make sure that um, these institutions were looked after and looked after properly. By 2010-11, we effectively, and the secretary of this department is a professor, David Conamur, I think uh, you would all be, he's been up this way a few times. Um, he was the chairman of the Vision 2050 uh, group, and effectively this is a statement of intention that depended, depended heavily on the high-end technical workforce in the country that we were competent and we were going to make some major improvements in the socio-economic settings of Papua New Guinea. <laughs> Again, I go back to the lower, and I continue to, um, in, in, in my capacity as the minister, I continue to talk to my colleague minister of the education department and other ministers and agencies. You do it properly out there. I will do the rest. I finish it up up here and we get some very highly competent people. You don't do it properly down there. It's going to be difficult for me to uh, finish it off with uh, the few touches that I have to, to make. But this department um, has been given this responsibility of uh, looking after the universities. We've been down to Australia and uh, especially the Australian Research Council and the Health Research, but also in Melbourne, uh, New South Wales, ANU, we, we paid a visit to James Cook University and um, University of Queensland. We would like to improve um, the technical competencies of our lecturers and the involvement um, of those lecturers as they supervise uh, their programs. Some major changes that uh, took place in this uh, department over the last, uh, or in this unit in the last uh, 24 months. Obviously, the passing and adoption of the Higher Education General Provisions Act 2014. Um, this became, and through to today, a lot of people would like to argue that uh, it shouldn't have been there. And the last graduation at the University of Papua New Guinea, the Chancellor, Prime Minister, and me, we were there. And the Chancellor didn't read his speech, but he spoke at length against our, our act. And... Uh, I told the Prime Minister, you, you don't worry about this. Well, I'll, I'll, in, in the next day it was my turn, so I, I said so. But yes, um, it is uh, a major change in the governance of uh, higher education. And basically, it's trying to get government to be worried, and it should be worried about the investment of government in the sector. We also had this problem of making sure that there was place 
there was quality and the competencies that were covered were competency areas that were needed in our industries, in our country, equity and the general structure and accreditation evaluation process. Um, 2013, uh, Ross Gano and Rabin Amaliu were running around and effectively gave us a report and we made sure that those standards um, were part of any planning and any budgeting of the faculties and the institution. We had to change the Office of Higher Education uh, into this new department. Um, the Office of Higher Education was just a scholarship um, place or, or uh, exchange place for, for scholarships. And, and we, we, when we took on this, we made sure that we had a proper department and we looked after, we have this responsibility of looking after all of things after grade 12 and you come into our institutions, we made sure we uh, had the powers and the responsibility to look after that, uh, what was going on in those institutions. We also wanted to draw this demarcation and tell government and that's what I've been doing. And, uh, two weeks ago I was again at the, the Prime Minister and my I wanted to make sure that every student that comes in into our higher technical education system, uh, one qualified but well looked after and we effectively um, wanted to be the responsible agency for uh, their upbringing. Um, third major area was a national higher and technical education plan 2015-2024. We've launched this plan and uh, yes, every institution is being supervised, is being audited, academic audit against the standards, and we wanted to make sure that uh, faculties and uh, dean of studies knew what we wanted, and most of them, I'll, I'll say this, are keen and are basically um, working with, with the standards. We also had uh, the Research Science Technology Council that was established. Uh, Professor Lohi Matainao is the person in charge of this, and as I said, we've been down here with the Australian Research Council and the Health uh, Research um, Group. Uh, we met again in Manila with, with the person in charge uh, early last in August um, for the APEC. But yes, this is one council that, uh, especially for any any, any country, um, it, it's overdue for Papua New Guinea. And I personally, I've, I've taken. Uh, a lot of interest to make sure that uh, this major think tank coordinating unit was working. We've, we've, we've talked to the uh, research units, research institutions, we're talking to the universities, uh, we've made commitments uh, to, to make sure there were postgraduate research scholarships in the universities down in Australia. Uh, we had twinning arrangements. We would like to effectively get the universities to get into that with funding from the government through these uh, research scholarships, especially postgraduate scholarships. We wanted to make sure that we can uh, um, make this happen. The university's external quality assessment, uh, again, as we said, this came out of the Ghana Namaliu report, but we continue to effectively uh, bring institutions and we, we personally from my, my office, I have a whole lot of churches and groups of people and 
coming in, they're wanting to be universities, and I've told them, you go by these standards, and you qualify yourself, we will accept you too. Uh, you, you just don't call yourself a university. A few institutions, we've downgraded, downgraded them from their thinking of being a university. The, we call them a higher institute of higher education as yet. The responsibility of increase, the increasing in intakes, um, 2014, there were 19,600 grade 12 students as set for the grade 12 examination. We could only take in 6,700 this year. This year, we're expecting, and this week, effectively, the next week, we're expecting 25,000 grade 12 students to sit for their grade 12 examination. We would like to make sure that uh, uh, come 2016, we can increase from 6,500 to at least uh, 10, 11,000 people, students that can be taken in. So that now stands as a major issue with us, and we would like, and we're working hard uh, to make sure that existing institutions of higher learning uh, can increase their intake, but also we uh, in the process of uh, adding one or two more other programs that can help us. We've also got increased funding on scholarships, both quantity and in value. Uh, the number of scholarships increased, but also the value, financial value of those scholarships. And we've started paying what used to be a small stipend to um, scholarship holders. <coughs> I think this time it's an every month thing. <coughs> and as part of this um, restructure, and especially trying to improve the higher education sector, the government this year gave us a whole lot of funding specifically under PIP or the Public Investment Program um, for those institutions. And in February, we called them in, the technical colleges, the nursing colleges, teachers' colleges, and we gave them all money. One institution, it's a nautical college, excuse me, in Medang. Um, I was the transport minister for two months before I, I got called into this ministry. And I visited that place the last week of my being the transport minister, and effectively the following week I was going to be the higher education minister. And I visited this place, and uh, true to today, it's a sorry state. It's a maritime college of Papua New Guinea, or the Pacific region. Um, they have just been forgotten, forgotten big time by everybody. Um, what I did, effectively, if early this year we gave them some money, and I visited them again in June this year, and they were very happy to host me. Yes, we would like to make sure that um, all those sectors and, and institutions are, are funded and we would like to bring their capacity up to make sure they can uh, meet the challenges of, uh, of our, our time. Um, other major impact programs in this um, um, department is basically the responsibility of rehabilitation and recapitalization within our existing universities. We've had some uh, few issues, especially with some of our accounting or management system within the existing universities, not being able to look after the money that's been given to them. Uh, we've, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, we, we've sacked a few vice chancellors, one or two. And um, we would like to make sure that uh, 
what was, has been forgotten for the last 40, 50 years uh, is rehabilitated and uh, we can effectively look after and bring in, improve the capacity of those institutions. We've now got scholarship for TVET skills and uh, the university postgraduate um, research programs. Uh, we're working this, especially the postgraduate uh, research programs. We're working this with the coffee research, with the cocoa, coconut research, with uh, an entomology research unit uh, in Medang, and a few other uh, research programs that's conducted under NARI and NRI. Um, this year, we would like to launch what is known as the PNG Open University concept. And uh, next week, I'll be traveling to East New Britain to effectively start the program. Some districts, and we've got 89 districts, and I've spoken to the members of those 89 districts. You give me some money, I give you some money. We put all this money and we build an open university campus within your district. Remote as you are, through ICT, we're able to um, go online, get the students to be learning. We're working hard on the twinning arrangements with universities in Australia and also some other countries. And the first one is going to be basically um, RMIT in Melbourne and the Western Pacific University. The Western Pacific University is uh, on our drawing board. Um, I would like to, and I have um, money to effectively start the process by the end of this month. Um, get the Prime Minister to do groundbreaking and we should be able to have a Western Pacific University uh, with their first intake in 2017. Given all this and especially in the higher education sector I basically have the other major education unit from elementary through to secondary I would like that to be properly managed and if that is properly managed and we can increase and improve in the competencies of those areas, our universities and higher education, higher technical education uh, will, will, will grow. As it is, uh, and especially come selection time, we get academics who basically sit down and heads and deans of um, faculties who sit down at the selection and they cannot just accept students on the current qualification and gradings, GPAs that is shown um, on the selection to, to, to the selection unit. Thank you very much for this. I'll, I'll stop there, and I believe uh, I have a few questions that I need to, to answer. Thank you. Uh, well, thanks very much, Minister. I think you touched on a number of uh, interesting points. I'm sure there'll be questions from the floor. So, uh, who'd like to kick off the discussion? Yeah, Paul. Mr. Minister, thank you very much for that very informative presentation. You mentioned one of the great challenges has been the number of changes that have occurred. You started off talking mainly about changes in the curriculum. Well, I guess towards the end you started tenting on some changes in resources that would be required in the education sector yeah. and gave that quite extraordinary challenge of increasing the number of places potentially from 6,500 to or to nearly double it in the next two years. And of course, this is an, an environment where resources have become much more scarce. How are you going to face that challenge as a minister? Thank you. Yeah. Um, each district is given some money, and each district effectively knows the story back in their uh, locality 
we would like to work with that scenario. We would like to work with that problem. So, uh, the, for example, the Minister for Environment is from Kompia Mambum, a remote place up there. And um, I told him, yeah, you give me a million. We, I give you some money and we put it into this and we, we build. And he's, he's keen on it. Yes. So those open university um, centers will still be part of a conglomerate that was started before my time. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, they've had this concept on. And when I came in in, in June, July of last year, I, I had some disagreements uh, on this, and I, I took some people to task to try and uh, change this. But they, they said, sorry, it's sealed, and Parliament is basically, or NEC is basically given. So this is where we are, and we, we believe over the next six months we would like to roll out. Um, those districts have got money. Um, finance minister in our last meeting, and we were discussing a, a supplementary budget. Sorry, um, he basically said, "You go back to the accounts of the districts; they still holding on to some money." So we would like to make sure that those districts, districts see the need and effectively decide through their district development authority uh, commit some of that money for an open university centre. Yeah, Bruce. Hi, my name is uh, Bruce Chapman. I was uh, involved in the review from um, Ross Gardner, Robin and Louis. And I, I guess I'm keen to know what's happened to the proposals from that review, and in particular on uh, student loan design. The student, the student, I mean, you can't have a functioning higher education system without an effective loans mechanism. And the loans mechanism at the time of their investigation had massive default rates. Yes. Like 99% yes. basically. Uh, and they wanted to promote the discussion, as I did, on um, contingent loans, collection through the tax system. I was always curious to know, I still am, whether or not you could collect a contingent loan through the income tax system. Ross Garner believed that you could. But that was something that they explored and I think recommended. So where's, where's it all gone? What's happened yeah. to that debate and where, where, where are you at? Thank you. Um, an amount of money was put aside by the government in 2014, 2013, uh, especially to try and accommodate, I think. And, and when I became the minister, I've, I've asked if I can um, try and study the um, terms of, uh, yes, um, giving out these loans. Um, before taking up this job as a, as a lecturer in university, I basically just worked as a loans, uh, agricultural loans officer in the bank. And, um, but yes, we, we would like to make sure a few things happen. Firstly, the national identity program is done, and we know who this person is. Each and every one of them must be known. Um, we've had issues where students come in with this name, they finish, and the previous loan scheme, 2010, 11, I think, uh, 9, 10, it, it obviously failed because students were just not committed to uh, that part of uh, repayment. Um, 
the national identity program uh, is, is, is happening. And we would like to make sure that every student, and I continue to, as I visit the institutions, I tell them, we know you. There is a registration number given to you as a student of this institution, and we will make sure we carry that. And as you enroll in this national identity civil registry program, we basically have some better idea of who you are. You can go and make a face change somewhere, but you'll still be the same person. But we would like to make sure that um, the Labor Department and some other people uh, are part of this arrangement so that there is employment at the end of the line. Um, there are university graduates in Papua New Guinea who are having difficulties getting a job, to be honest. So it's either the area of study was not according to... Yes, we would like to make sure that uh, when the student does leave the university with a loan, he gets employed and he can be able to find himself in, in some capacity to start repaying the loan. Um, traditionally, in, in society in Papua New Guinea, and this was part of a, a dissertation that I did for my postgraduate work in the UK, um, getting a loan was it's never, it's not normally part of society, uh, communal arrangements where we share and we help each other uh, to basically uh, tie you down with a loan with the bank. Uh, it's, it's something of a burden. But we, we're working on it. The money's still there. Uh, I've, I've made commitments to the Prime Minister. Uh, let me study the terms of uh, uh, borrowing, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, my name is Lokia. I'm a PhD student here at the ANU. Um, um, the, the ministry, I feel that the ministry and the department and of course the government have put a lot of emphasis on um, the need to upgrade technical competency and capacity, and rightfully so. But I feel that an equally important issue in the higher education sector is the conditions of lecturers and tutors. Um, that, that I feel needs to be looked into uh, as well. Um, there's been an interesting paper done by Professor House and Thomas Wandi, who's a current staff at EPMG, uh, which looks at this issue. Uh, my question is, has the ministry and the government, um, or are they considering looking at this particular issue? Thank you. Thank you. Yes, in, in July this year, it was brought before cabinet, and cabinet has, uh, has given its approval for um, not the dual system, but the single salary system for lecturers. Um, the literature, I'll, I'll say this, the literature that was available for uh, reference on this subject was extensively done. I was happy with it. Uh, we made, we saw comparisons between um, all of the countries, Nigeria, Israel, Australia, New Zealand, all this, and uh, we're happy. Uh, the figures that are there, and I, I, I made this uh, commitment to Goroka, Unitech, even UPNG at the Waigani seminar in September that yes, uh, we will do something about it. We will do something about it, and especially for national academics, um, there is light at the end of the tunnel, as I say. Uh, sir, I just have another follow up okay. question. Um, have you also considered like um, looking at like state-owned entity, entities as well as um, other private sector entities and how comparable 
conditions of the lecturers to those guys? Thank you. Yeah, we, we looked at the figures. Uh, it, unfortunately, for those guys, they paid themselves a bit more than us. <laughs> Um, even lecturers and, and, and academic staff in those in these other countries that were studied, um, the water board and the PNG power and the guys in our state entities still get more than uh, professors and uh, in, in all the universities in the world. Somehow, we <laughs> thank you. Okay, yes, Steve. Minister, thank you very much. Um, my question's got to do with um, your views between um, the national high schools and the provincial high schools. Um, in the early 2000s, we, we had um, numerous discussions with the PNG government about the importance of the national high schools yeah. in supporting the cadre of leaders that emerged through independence, post-independence, um, specifically Sagari, Ayura, um, Kiribati, Hassan. Um, but we've seen through the 2000s the demise of the, the national high schools, the, the amount of resources going to them. And this was an issue raised in the Ghana the Mali report as well about the importance of the national high schools in the School. quality of the graduates yeah. that were coming into the higher education sector, but also as um, uh, important in facilitating national leadership yes. um, across the country. I was wondering what your views are in um, national... Um, high schools vis-à-vis -vis provincial high schools or even provincial universities such as Western Pacific and, and how they support more sort of narrow interests rather than national interests. Yeah, I think the, the national high schools, six of them, um, the Minister for Planning is thinking of having a seventh one in his electorate, Cameron. Um, I, I, I strongly support that the School of Excellence program, I think it was Theo Jirunok, a current speaker, then James Marape, current finance minister, they were education ministers and they had actually pushed for this. Um, Caravan National School is in my electorate and I have had a whole lot of association with that school. Um, the end of next month is a graduation and I've been asked to be there. Um, I've, I've told the principal and a whole lot of uh, people there, this is good. We're, we're getting students from all over Papua New Guinea, the best top five percent, I think, will come into the national high school system. And it's good because they are together and they challenge themselves. You put those very intelligent people in some secondary, provincial secondary schools, uh, the range of, uh, yeah, it, it, they are not adequately challenged. You put them in this, and uh, Karavat actually was talking about some scholarships to the U.S. and the U.K. They were writing to ambassador for the U.S. in Port Mosby and so sort of thing. Um, unfortunately, the current education minister said something in parliament against this. So a few of us were rallying behind the program. Uh, I've spoken to the, the speaker of parliament. I've spoken to the finance minister. I've spoken to the national planning minister. We need to make sure this program is funded. This program is still part of our uh, capital, human capital development program. And we make sure that the best brains are nurtured, looked after, and they become leaders in the future. You bring them into this provincial secondary system, it's nothing to do with... It's, it's, we're not uh, playing down the provincial secondary system. Uh, some students still would like to stay in the provincial secondary system, and they, they, they excel, they do very well. Um, it's just that 
in the nationalized school, I think it's a, it's a better program. Unfortunately, the, I think a few of them have had problems with uh, landowner claims and compensation, um, infrastructure still not being... And um, I, I think Sugari and Keravat, uh, but must be national one, has, 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 has been good. Um, the one in, in the Eastern Islands have had a few problems with land compensation claims. Uh, the Spasam one had, had some problems. But yes, I am in support of the program, and I believe it is a very big part of our um, endeavor to improve leadership and uh, intellectual capacity in our country. Another question? Did you have a question? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Minister, for, for coming and talking with us today. I, my question sort of relates to the, what, what sounds seems like an incredibly broad and ambitious agenda that you've set for yourself during this term. And, uh, you know, you, you touched on issues around access and the equity of access. Mm. You talked about... Um, the, the quality of, of, of education, including quality of entry. We talked about governance and financing. And, and there's a lot of things that sit underneath all of those elements of change required. I, my question really related to prioritising. And I, I was just interested in what you would see as, as the three or two greatest priorities in terms of change that you would like to see brought about during your sort of term in this position. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's it's uh, accommodating all these graduates out of grade 12, making sure everyone has got access to some form of higher education, especially uh, a proper uh, recognized institution. So access stands as my number one priority. Equity, um, and there are secondary schools, there are high schools, effectively, who challenge the two groups, females in some classes and males in some classes, and they basically put up the grades and the performance from examinations, see the girls can do better than you boys. And, and, and we also have um, some communities that um, have some problems. Um, the students that qualify and can go into high schools cannot go to high schools because of some tribal differences. They cannot come into town, it's a long way, and they're basically stuck somewhere in, in, in the bush. Um, it, and those are issues of access. Um, I'm not touching on quality. I, I believe quality is a responsibility of respective institutions. We just would like to make sure we monitor on a periodic basis uh, those programs. <coughs> um, the governance. Is, is, is my third major area. Uh, I'll, I'll give you this example. Uh, one of my, my university, for example, was given all of the money. And over the last 2013, 2014, it was one institution that was given a bit more on a per student basis than every other, the other five institutions. Some media took off with all that money. So that's that's my three priority areas. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you very much, Minister, for your presentation. My, uh, my interest is in um, employability, and you touched on that just briefly during the speech. But I'm just wondering, do you have any strategies for engaging uh, employers, particularly private sector in the university, 
and how you go about determining what uh, uh, the most most required skills are for um, their matching courses? Yes, yes. Um, we, we, we allow the universities and especially the private sector finds uh, rooms place in, in, in the boards and the councils of these institutions and they have a lot of input. I'll say this in the programs being developed and uh, the competencies of, of the graduates. Um, we, we would like to make sure that the whole lot of students and the whole lot of graduates find a job. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example in the oil power ministry and the agriculture sector effectively. Um, I, I in, in my 20-something years uh, there, I've had some strong disagreements on how much they were. But then the Dean of Studies basically says, it's the guy who's employing him. Let him. So yes, uh, the task and, and take ICT. We introduced the computer and the, all these programs. This field officers from uh, the agriculture sector, he doesn't need a computer where I come from. Mm. Teach him how to manage a few laborers and I'll take him on. Don't teach him computers. He's not going to be using computers where he's going to be. So we've got those um, areas. Generally, I, I believe there will still be issues with um, one uh, employability uh, of our graduates. Um, secondly, the employment opportunities available. And to address the employability bit, uh, basically spend all of the time discussing this with uh, uh, especially uh, institutions in this part of the world. Uh, we would like to have uh, and take James Cook University um, accounting programs or some other programs where there is a qualification from both universities, Townsville and University of Papua New Guinea. So we would like to make sure that uh, there is strong recognition in Papua New Guinea that this person has had some uh, uh, coursework from a university in, in Australia and yes, he understands what uh, he's doing. Thank you. Great. Minister, thank you very much for your presentation. It's great. Um, I just have a question around your third priority, which is governance. I wonder um, how you think universities should be engaging with the student body. <coughs> The student body, so the student, student union. Um, we've obviously had protests at the University of Melbourne recently. Um, yes, and yes. Um, you know, UTEP, uh, University yeah, of yeah. So, just wanted to get your insights there and, and perhaps maybe some reflection of the role of the ministry um, in engaging with these unions as well. Thank you. Um, it was effectively in my one of my discussions last week. Uh, we, we've had these councils in, in the universities who've suppressed SRC and other union movements in universities for, for a fair while, the last 10 years, I think. Um, but then the students have uh, come another way to express themselves and being disruptive. And um, in, in this study that we, we, we're putting together, in the 70s and the 80s, where students and some of our politicians were basically student leaders and were leading all this, um, the issues of concern then were major national issues. 
Unfortunately, today it's um, it's to do with uh, the programs, the qualification of lecturers, the computer, the library, the books, etc., and even the food in the mess on a glue bucket. So I'm, I'm going back and I'm telling the students, hey, and then take the Goroka one. I, I, I came on the media and I told, told the country, I'm, I'm terminating the semester for University of Goroka. You all can go home. Scholarships withdrawn, lecturers relaxed. You all are going home. They all, they all panicked. I said, wow. I said, yes, according to the law, uh, the agreement in the scholarship, you have not conformed to those agreements. You violated those agreements, you now can go, go home. I said this at a time where the El Nino had effectively ravaged the country and this water shortage, this food shortage, and I guess some of the students sat down and thought about it and said, I'm not going home. I'm staying here, I'm going back to class. So they, they all decided, they called me back and said sorry to me and said, we would like to go back to class. But now the lecturers are saying, we're not going back to class, you haven't said sorry to us. So, but yes, um, <laughs> we, we would like to, and, and with, with the issue from, from Goroka, I have indicated to the universities I will have two units within the structure of this new department. One, to touch base with every institution and effectively know the vibrations of the student groups within those institutions. We would like to basically be part of it and know what is brewing. But also we would like to make sure, and when I made this announcement to terminate the uh, and sideline the Vice Chancellor of the University of Goroka, I felt bad about it. Um, and I, I, I said this bit, this is a very poor precedence. Um, okay, it could be acceptable that I am from the industry and I, 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 people find it um, uh, acceptable that I, I can say this about this professional who spent all of the money of the government and is brought himself to this level. One day somebody else who's basically from the bush come and sits on this chair as the Minister for Higher Education and he's going to make a decision on the professional standing of some important person. It's not going to sound very good. So what we would like to do, and I, I told Professor Kawanamur and his staff, we need to include another structure within this department that must address administratively the issues of the institution. I am the last, last resort. Unfortunately, or fortunately, because of what I've been doing, putting out fires all over the place, whenever there's a small movement, they said, the minister must come, the minister must come. And I've said, I'm, I'm, I'm not coming, I'm not coming. The Lay Poly, National Polytechnic in Lay, they, they had this issue, and uh, that is an institution under the education department. And for three weeks, the education department didn't want to go there. I just turned up one morning, I told Professor Konamur, come to the airport, I told the buy the ticket, and we, we, we got on the plane, we flew into Lay, 8 o'clock, I got the vehicle, I drove the Land Cruiser to Polytech, and I, I got the classes down, I drove into the, and I addressed the students. After that, they took the barricade out of the main gate, said, we're going back to class. <laughs> so, yes, um, I, I believe it's a responsibility of the administration of the institution to make sure they must still accommodate those students and effectively bring them to adequately be in dialogue with them, to suppress them. The, the Vudal one in, in Rabaul, uh, this person effectively put it in the constitution of the council that the SRC does not exist. 
<laughs> and when they turned up, I, I turned up there and I told them, you now can have an all an election and you must be in council. The academic staff association also and the non-academic staff. Some institutions don't want them to be active unions within the universities. I think it's counterproductive. A lot of people still find ways to express themselves and disrupt the programs. <coughs> yes, thank you, Minister. Um, as a stakeholder in the primary and secondary education systems, I was wondering whether you're concerned about um, the discontinuation of the grade 8 and grade 12 exams and whether um, you'd be supporting some new form of standardised testing at that level to encourage benchmarking of schools and encouraging students to be able to, to know where they stand yeah, yeah. prior to going to high school. I, I, I wish I, I could... I, I asked that question. Um, what, what they were basically saying is that they have an evaluation system during those, those times, and especially grade 8 and grade 10s, but they don't go, you know, if, if they come under or fall under a certain GPA, they go this way, as it used to be. Everybody still goes on to grade 12 and finished grade 12. Uh, there are technical institutions, um, <coughs> and, and we, it's an Australian firm, actually, that's looking after um, a, a technical institution outside Port Mosby, and they came in and saw me on, on Wednesday this week, last week, sorry, um, Thursday. They basically would like to make sure the education department has another route so that after, and this is a progressive um, monitoring academic uh, system that basically finds that this student is not going to be a scientist, it's not going to continue to, to university. So we, we need to nurture that skills, technical skills, so that eventually it gets uh, dragged into the technical institution to be a plumber, to be a, a builder, a mechanic, that sort of thing. So I hope, one, there is a proper examination process to effectively uh, work out with and that sort of thing in those different groups, but also the uh, other alternative ways or avenues of, of learning uh, to bring everybody from elementary through to grade 12 and, and by the time they finish from grade 12 you know the way the universities are going 90% of those students will not ever place in the university because there is no proper uh, accreditation I guess an assessment system that can determine who is and it's just going to make things difficult for our universities okay all right, I know we're out of time. I'm, I'm going to ask one question. Maybe, Karish, you could do it afterwards as a journalist. I just want to, I don't want to put you in a difficult spot, but you mentioned the Higher Education Act remains controversial and that the uh, UPNG Chancellor spoke out against it. I assume you're referring to the fact that now the Vice Chancellor is going to be appointed by, or not appointed, but have to be approved by the Cabinet, yes. the NEC. And uh, that did come as a surprise. I think it would certainly be, uh, if it was introduced in Australia, there'd be a lot of opposition to that. And I just, I mean, I know it was before your time, but as Minister, you know, what the government's uh, rationale for that is, 
and how you're going to mitigate the risks associated okay. with that kind of um, centralization. Um, this was also done before my... Um, I guess it, it came about because of um, the um, involvement of some people, I guess, who, who had some other political standing. And uh, we would like the council, and my 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 powers effectively goes to council first, the chancellor, and we would like council to effectively see the candidates for the vice chancellor's position, and they select one. Obviously, they have to run it through my office. We discuss, and I bring it to cabinet. Um, I have been criticized. I've been criticized. I was called into a private gathering, a chancellors and vice chancellors, uh, no reporters, <laughs> no media. Uh, and yeah, basically, I was, I was told you cannot do this. Um, I, I tried to also pick on some. Um, areas of poor management in some of our institutions. Hey, you have not done what you're supposed to do. Um, you, you, you find yourself in a, in a group of academics who will support you to get the job. My friend, we need to have some say because we, we're just not seeing the growth and stability in, in our institutions. Um, Okay, UPNG is our premier institution, but we would like to make sure that, and especially with this, uh, a whole lot of provinces, I think the question from this year, all of the provinces think they could have a university of their own, New Ireland, Bougainville. I said, no, you cannot do that. Uh, we would like to make sure we, one, keep looking after our existing universities and effectively try and select where we can build our next university because of this issue with uh, giving access to all of the people who have been able or over the last uh, 40 years have to travel outside of their province to get a, a decent education. Mm -hmm. I guess you heard in 2012 of the singing of the Rabaul Queen. <coughs> that went down with some of my relatives. Mm -hmm. And when this uh, person was looking after a university back in the province, it's not really our provincial university. It's a national university, but it just happened to be in our province. And, um, yeah, we, we, we felt it was not fair that uh, this was not being looked after to grow. It was given the money. It was supposed to be a big library built. There was supposed to be some infrastructure. No. So I guess we, we, we come on the back of those experiences where we needed to have some major input into governance. All right, thank you. Okay, so we'll give you the last words. I'm so glad to be here. Can I get your thoughts on the new global plan? I understand that there is at least one batch that has come across from yes, Australia. Federation University. What can PNG then offer to the students who go across there beyond, I suppose, the traditional paradigms of uh, international development? Um, I, I, I met the group of... I was, I was invited uh, by, by the... Australian Commission and, and the Federation University, was it? Yeah. 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 Uh, Professor Connor, I was asked to say something. I, I had no idea what was this. So I, sorry, Professor Connor, I'm going to have that responsibility. 
But yes, um, as I uh, sat down and heard about this and studied the whole thing, I think we, we, we have a lot to offer to, to students coming on and being part of that program. Uh, while we would like to help people from this country and especially through this program, we believe these students uh, will also learn about the difficulties and the issues that we are faced with. And, and take Oro Province, uh, Kokoda Trek effectively goes through there. <coughs> Early this year, I was called into that province by the education authorities with the view of building a teacher's college uh, with the Anglican Church in that province. And the first two hours of that morning, uh, the education division gave me a rundown of the last 10 years, 2004 to 2013. Uh, the progress and growth of education in the province, they measured themselves against the other 20-something provinces. All these 10 years, they have been the least in graduate trans uh, moving into universities or even grade 10 to grade 12. And it was a very difficult scenario, I would say. Um, halfway through the day, um, the divisional head, education head, effectively told me, if we have 20,000 students in our primary schools, we have another 20,000 are not going to school. So we have the same number of students that don't have that opportunity to be in school. They're asking, why is that? Well, because there were roads that were not maintained, and the schools, the teachers didn't go there because uh, airstrips that are no longer used, and the schools are closed, and we have children in those schools, in those areas, that cannot go to school. So if we have 20,000 students in school in our private schools in this province, there's another 20,000 in the bush that are not going to school. Right? That's, that's, that's somewhat disturbing to me. I said, yes, that's a fact. So, yes, I, I believe um, there are a lot of things, all other things that we can contribute, but we also will share and learn from each other to help into the future of what we can do to improve the delivery of education services. Thank you very much. Well, we have gone over time. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for allowing so much time and all, for answering all those questions. And please join me in thanking the Minister. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.